you are not sure whether tomorrow you will wake up because you never know who will come into your house and cause you harm. So people are living in a situation of fear and in insecurity. And in that situation, that is not life. You are just surviving. Women in settings of violent conflict are often thought of as passive victims. But in reality, women are very active. They're teachers, aid workers, peace builders, political activists, and sometimes even combatants with militias and violent extremist organizations. Women and the roles they play mirror the complexities of conflict. I'm Jillian Foster, and you're listening to the Women in Conflict podcast. Stories directly from women living in conflict. This episode is brought to you by UN Women, the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment. In today's episode, we hear from Rita Lupedia, a peace activist from South Sudan. Being a peace activist, you can never say, I have thrown in the towel. You try to shut out your mind, but your conscience doesn't leave you. Your mind keeps reminding you that you need to keep on putting up a fight for peace. South Sudan is the world's newest country, breaking off from Sudan in 2011. But it hasn't been easy. Civil war broke out in 2013, and despite a ceasefire in 2014 and a new unity government in 2016, the country finds itself facing a spiral of political violence. The dispute between the ruling SPLM party and SPLAIO forces loyal to the exiled vice president, Riek Machar, draw upon decades of ethnic conflict. Complicating the matter are various armed militias, a recent famine, and what many have called ethnic cleansing in parts of the country. Over one million people, including Rita and her family, have fled. Today, Rita leads EVE, an organization that works for women's empowerment. She travels the world as an advocate for South Sudan, splitting her time between Europe, North America, and South Sudan. While we sat side by side on her bed in a hotel room in New York City, not far from the UN building, Rita spoke to me about the powerful commitment she has to her community, how she is drawn back to South Sudan time and again, and how this connection with South Sudan gives her strength despite the many ongoing threats and challenges she faces, from overt violence to a feeling of groundlessness. As a child, Rita and her family fled from their hometown of Juba. Around the 1990s, the, the conflict intensified and there were always shelling of Juba. This is the South North conflict. And they would shell Juba, the, um, the SPLA, which are the Sudan People Liberation um, Army. They would shell Juba. Juba was under the Khartoum government. So uh, it became so dangerous, you know, the schools were closed. Uh, there were a lot of demonstrations, so it was basically chaos in the city. And because of the continuous bombing of the town, some people started uh, going to take refuge in neighboring countries. And then by then, I lost my, my, my dad. He had a heart attack. Yeah, so my mom had to take care of us, and there were four of us. And for a woman to take care of the four, it, it wasn't easy during that time. A lot of insecurity. So we, my mom decided that we moved to Khartoum. Why Khartoum? What's, did you have family there? We didn't really have family in Khartoum. But my mom just felt she is not ready to leave Sudan to the neighboring country. 
So she preferred that we go to Khartoum, which is still within Sudan, and um, and be there. So it's still our country. And the second reason is she is a teacher. And even if she moves to Khartoum somehow, she might be able to continue teaching um, instead of taking a refuge in another country where you won't really have any status. For us to move from Juba to Khartoum, it's actually a very hectic process because there is only the military planes that go from Juba to Khartoum. And uh, like the Juba airport, it's a completely cut off area. And it was under the military, the Sudan military uh, control. Uh, I think we walked to the airport for almost a month before we got an opportunity to get on the flight because there were so many people. And it also depends on who you know to help you. Once she got to Khartoum, Rita and her family stayed in a camp for IDPs, or internally displaced people. It's not like camps, camps, but these are areas that you can build a shelter for yourself with your family. So it is not like a regular camp, but it's just a place where those who you are not able to afford a rent, uh, so you can get there and you'll be given a space to, to set up something for yourself. Eventually, Rita's mom got a job teaching at a school for displaced people, and they moved out of the camp, and Rita started going to school herself. So between primary four to primary eight, I, I went to school in Khartoum. So on average days, like to wake up in the morning and uh, go out and fetch some water. And uh, if we are lucky, we have food, we can prepare tea or porridge. And when it's 12 o'clock, if we have money, then at least you save some time to get to the bus stop to to take a bus to school. And on a bad day, if we don't have money, so it means that we have to leave home early to start working like an hour earlier to go to school. And then on the way back where the buses drop us because the area we used to stay is a bit out of town. And uh, where the bus stops in the evening, it's probably like two kilometers from where we live. That is the last bus stop. And it's already dark. It's just an open space. And um, it's really scary when it's dark and a lot of wild dogs. And we have always been hearing stories of thieves um, in the area. So sometimes when we get late, uh, it's either me alone. I have to cross that area and, uh, you know, you have to run. And I think by then I was around 11 years old. So it's like you literally have to joke these two kilometers to get home and then sometimes it's frightening and um, I think through that not intentional I became an athlete through that yeah because it's like Monday to Sunday to, to Thursday coming back home you always have to prepare yourself to joke so through that um, I then ended up having competing in schools, uh, competition, and I was winning. And then um, in 1995, I actually represented Sudan as a country at an international level as an athlete in running. Um, I, I did 800 meters. So after the event, you know, when you travel internationally, you get some money 
just by the fact that you are able to qualify. And I can't remember how much money um, was given to me, but I think it was a good amount of money because when I went back, it was able to cover like our school fees and uh, buy for us books and uniform for the whole year with me and my brothers. So it, I was happy that I, I was able to contribute to the family. After that experience, um, that was my first international, uh, you know, travel, going to Sweden at 12 year old by myself, representing the country. But then, as I said, when we got into the, into the secondary school, um, I didn't have enough time now to practice. Uh, so I had to focus on school. And because you have to be on the tree top to get the scholarship. We know we cannot afford to pay the school fees. The only way we need to be in school is to really crack your mind, you know, yeah. I think with the influence of my mom, we really had to, you know, focus on our books and really read hard to, to maintain that standard to be able to finish our schools. Then I went to Dubai University, the College of Applied and Industrial Science. I think it's basically because of my mom's commitment in that education is an important instrument if we want to change our lives if we want to be successful in the future we need to pursue education after graduation rita worked as a teaching assistant at the university but only six months later the conflict between what we know today as sudan and south sudan worsened and students at the university went on strike Rita eventually had to leave her job. Still, she felt lucky that she'd received an education and she wanted others to have the same opportunity. Rita and her colleagues started EVE in 2005. EVE is an organization that believes women are most well-suited to understand and solve their own problems. The organization works to empower women as decision makers in local and national peace processes. We discussed Eve's roots in the 2005 peace agreement and evolution as a critical player in the country's independence. The first project we did was to disseminate the, the signed peace agreement in 2005 because there was this move that now uh, there is peace, so many of the IDPs want to go back home. There were a lot of excitement. So we took part in really telling them what the peace agreement is all about as well as if you want to go home, these are the processes you need to take. Basically, there is no infrastructure, so there's a lot of relief and recovery work. And then the biggest work we did was during the South Sudan referendum in 2011, where we literally uh, worked in, in, in two states in South Sudan to ensure that uh, women really register and come out to vote. And... I feel proud that I have been um, very actively involved to ensure that women come out and vote for the referendum. And we have seen the results of the referendum. And it's something that I'm really proud of, that women, through our work as EVE organizations, were able to come out in numbers. Um, tell me about any challenges that you had when you were doing that, the registration and, and getting women out to vote. I think one of the challenging things that we got during those days is the inaccessibility of roads. 
Yeah, because there are areas that will have to trek like for half an hour before you reach to the community. And uh, the roads, it's not accessible by car. So at one point, you just have to leave the, the vehicle somewhere and you use road to trek. But then I think because we worked also very much with volunteers and then during the election and referendum period, it's like everybody was excited like you know we will soon have a country so being part of that process was just what makes you wake up very early in the morning and it is also the same feeling with most of my colleagues uh, that work with us at EVE organization and the volunteers we had because um, the, the girls and the women are coming out in numbers you know to really be part of our team and uh, for me, it was a fulfilling experience that we were able to really mobilize girls to go out and mobilize communities. I can still remember, you know, our campaign bus was the loudest because um, we were all young and excited and uh, we put big sound systems on, on our bus and a generator up there to make the loudest noise. So whenever we go to a village, it catches the attention. If we're approaching a village, we play music and then we start talking on the mic to get the women out. And it was so interesting that you, you know, we'll just park the bus in an open and then we'll start singing, we'll start talking on the microphone so it sends message around and people come out and then we emphasize on the importance of the election and the referendum and what people need to do and we do mock um, polling station and uh, where people come and literally practice how to vote um, both for elections and referendum so for me it was a fulfilling experience and I felt I've really taken um, an active role in South Sudan becoming an independent country and, and I'm so proud of that. What inspired me to really think of this organization is my background on what I went through and then seeing that I am able to do it, which means that I can also encourage other South Sudanese women and girls to, to do the same, as well as also work for those who are not able to be lucky as I am. So I thought South Sudan is now going to be an independent country. So it will be an opportunity that we really work to ensure that we have more women in decision making, more women in the government, in the private sector. A childhood surrounded by conflict and her success securing the nation's independence left an unmistakable mark on Rita. I was brought up and living through conflict. It made me see the importance of uh, other women doing better. So I think I, I, it developed a passion in me that I always want to see other women in of South Sudan also doing better. Because if you look at South Sudan, um, throughout the war, women never had, most of them never had the opportunity to go to schools. And there are a lot of uh, young girls who get married off from 13 to 15 at a very young age. It's like they are missing so much in life. And for me, it will, as a woman, I would like to see other women also doing well in my country. Because if women are able to do well, it means that the family will be able to do well 
and eventually the community will be able to do well and get the development they want to see and the country at large would do well if the women are treated well if women are able to go to school if women are able to stand up and make decisions for themselves the nation would be much more better and that's what i believe in and um, that's why as if organization it is my passion and the passion of my colleagues that uh would do all we can to ensure that uh there is better life for women in south sudan which will later on reflect in uh, the nation building as a whole rita remained dedicated to peace inclusivity and equality but her strength wavered when violence broke out following a 2015 peace agreement signed by the internal factions fighting to control south sudan and if you look at the agreement um the south sudan um agreement for the resolution of the conflict in south sudan there is a substantial issues of women addressed in the agreement but then you realize it is not enough that these issues get into the agreement it is about how these issues can be implemented but then august 2015 when the peace agreement was signed uh, so i thought i've really put my best to ensure that we have these issues and i need some time off but little did i know that less than a year into the signing of the peace agreement the country goes back into conflict again and the july conflict that erupted in juba really shocked us and um it make me personally feel as we are so fragile if we are not able to hold this agreement and it became so difficult that after struggling so hard to get women issues into the agreement and look at what happened in july women are raped by the armed by the military mercilessly and women are killed and the un is not even able to protect the women it was so devastating for me i was talking to one of my colleagues and she was literally crying that rita i really realize how important peace is and i think we have not done enough what i have seen happen in juba it's still a long way to go and it's like you remember we used to comfort women but now there's no one even to comfort us so it's like the weight was so heavy uh, not only on me but also the other women activists in the country so you reach to a point of desperation it's like what is going on but then when you sleep in your bed being a peace activist you can never say i have thrown in the towel your conscience doesn't leave you your mind keep reminding you that you need to keep on putting up a fight for peace as a person you know i have reached to a point like from july i am not able to go to back to juba so i am between new york london Nairobi and Sudan where I eventually took my family back but then I don't feel at peace because I don't have anywhere I belong that I can call home right. I don't feel home in New York I don't feel home when I'm in London I don't feel home when I'm in Khartoum or in Nairobi I feel home when I'm in Juba but I'm not able to go home yeah so you know it's that feeling of being lost 
in the world, not knowing where you belong. And it's so painful, you know. So with all this confusion, we still think, what else can we do? What option do you have? It's so devastating. It is so challenging. It is so difficult. But again, if you see women being raped, if you see women being killed, if you see children malnourished, if you see children not able to go to school, if you see the youth being used to fight a war that is not theirs, I think it just moves you to action. I mean, in Juba right now, the average day, it's like you can go out, but there's a lot of uncertainty. You are not sure what will happen the next minute. You are afraid of the person working opposite you. You are not sure whether he is a good guy or a bad guy. So everybody is scared. And um, the environment or the political tension is so high in the country. And there is a lot of incitement of violence. So you never know when you get out of the house whether you'll be able to come back. And even if you come back home, you are not assured or you're not sure whether tomorrow you will wake up because you never know who will come into your house and cause you harm. And in that situation, that is not life. You are just surviving. And that is too much pressure, too much tension on the women and the people of South Sudan. And all that is needed is some peace and stability and some safety. That is what people are looking for and that will only come through peace. You can find more about Rita and ways to support her organization, EVE, at evesouthsudan.org. This episode was edited by Jason Bro. Tara Dillon is our production assistant. Rebecca Reeve is our research assistant. Maggie Lemire is our consulting producer. And Isaac Kestenbaum is our executive producer. Our theme song is XXV by Broke for Free. I'm Jillian Foster, the founder and creator of the Women in Conflict Project. To hear more stories or to learn more about the project, visit womenincconflict.org. This episode was supported in part by UN Women, the United Nations Entity for Gender Equality and the Empowerment of Women.